Let's, let's uh, look at Luke chapter 10, titled uh, the message today, The Advance Team. Some of you remember the, uh, the A-Team. There's no parallel to my thinking here to the A-Team. I guess there's a new uh, movie out on the new A-Team or something. I've, 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 not, I've, only, I've read somewhere that it was coming out. But uh, The Advance Team. Um, well, one of the uh, most interesting, my son-in-law has had a number of interesting jobs from Hopkins and otherwise. Uh, Greg, Greg Bledsoe, who I remind him constantly married up when he married my daughter. And uh, he looks at me and he's convinced he is, and, and Mark, you are, I know you've <laughs> said that. And it's certainly true, but uh, he's had a number of variety of interesting jobs, whether he was uh, training medical students in Beijing for six months through Hopkins or uh, down at Hopkins as a professor, one of the outstanding uh, professor or teaching professor in, in his department, voted by the peers and the faculty, and, and uh, just a myriad of things. And Cutter, training the Cuttery doctors, which I still can't get over. You know, some of the uh, Cuttery uh, physicians were women, and they wore their, uh, their, their, uh, their, their garb, uh, bias, and uh, he never saw the faces of some of the women physicians. Can you imagine that? You can't even, you know, the faces uh, so expressive and all that. <laughs> Strange cultures. Oh my. Anyway, did that. But one of the most interesting things is he tells one story after, and he is a great storyteller. Uh, it's particularly when we were getting to know him, my boy sitting around the dining room table said, he was down at Hopkins, and that's like a war zone around there. And uh, they'd say, Greg, Greg, tell us the top ten grossest things you ever saw in the emergency room. <laughs> of which he was delighted to start to tell about the guy's eye that was hanging down on his cheek with a, you know, like, oh, we're like, oh, and the boy's like, yeah, yeah, tell us more. You're like, you kind of wonder what goes around the Zabolski dining room table, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, he, he was forever and day talking about, he had the privilege of being uh, uh, part of the United States Secret Service. And one year he bought me for Christmas, I have an official Secret Service shirt with a, with a button on that, three bucks, buys me a cup of coffee at Starbucks. But uh, anyway, he would, he would talk about uh, his work uh, as part of the medical corps that supported um, the President Bush and President Clinton uh, and the, uh, the whole advance team as they would go to various places around the world. And I remember a couple of times uh, he was uh, on flight and, and ready to go, did the prep work for going to Africa. Uh, he, he talks about sitting in the plane talking to Pre President uh, Bill Clinton about uh, C.S. Lewis and, and, and Clinton had read all Lewis and, uh, and, and so on. And of course they were both Arkansas boys Arkansas boys, so they related to that and that kind of thing. And but he would talk about all the advanced plan, planning that went into such a thing. You, you just didn't go down to Walter Reed, or not Walter Reed. You go down to the airport wherever that was. I can't remember now. And get on a plane and go to wherever. Right? It took months and months and months of preparation and the entourage of people. You can't imagine. You know when the president flies somewhere or the former president. Uh, fly somewhere, you know, it just, uh, it takes hundreds of people, hundreds, it's just, and the equipment, and the C-130s, and, 
in the planes and all that, and, and the advance teams that go there in, a, in advance. And uh, I'm telling you, secret, they check it all out. And uh, they're, they're looking for unfriendlies in the crowd in unfriendly places. And, uh, and the Africans, he talks about the Africans, just loved. They loved President Bush because nobody ever gave more money to AIDS uh, cure and all that in Africa than President Bush. He doesn't get much credit for that. But they, they really love President Clinton. They just, the horrors, they just surround him. It was a nightmare for the secret. So he said, you should have seen us pressing through that. And he tells stories about uh, 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 different things. I, I won't go into it all now because I was only going to use that as an introduction on this advanced team, this advanced idea. He bought a giraffe about yay high, wooden thing in Africa. And uh, he said... Uh, he didn't know where to put it. So they take an ambulance with them. Ambulance and, I mean, they, all the stuff lands there in the in secure cars. And they put the ambulance in the back, they put the giraffe in the back of the ambulance while it was flying in, uh, home in the C-1, whatever it was. Some of you know better than I. Well, interesting. Somebody will have them tell us more of those stories, talk about all that advanced training and all the hundreds that would go ahead and grease the sled to make uh, it all work. And uh, if uh, and, and particularly, he talked about Clinton. President Clinton would love to just go on his own timetable. They had an itinerary. This, this, I mean, it's by the minute, and he would just love to stop and go off <laughs> itinerary and drove them crazy. They had the, the responsibility to take care of him, and uh, and uh, and all all of that. <clears throat> anyway, in a similar way, I think of that when I come to this text today, because uh, as the Lord Jesus we saw in 951 of Luke, he begins to make his journey home, begins to, he pivots now, and now it's the beginning of the last year, and the last months he's going to begin uh, to make his long journey home, he's going to go through Jerusalem, going to go through Mount Calvary, going to go through um, the Garden Tomb, going to go through the Mount of Olives, and the Lord's going to go home. And, and as he begins to wind down this uh, three-year public ministry, he's up in Galilee, which is in the north, and he is going, he's walking. He's not on a uh, moped or a bike or airplane or anything. He's walking now. He's going to take his time. He's going to move through a lot of c cities and villages as he proclaims the gospel, presents himself, cares for the sick, and he's got an entourage of people with him, his disciples, Ladies that cared for his needs, and he's making his way like a great middle linebacker. He's going right toward the mission that the Father had given him, and that is the cross uh, that he would care for uh, the defeat of sin, uh, Satan, uh, and uh, care for our salvation there. And uh, that's how you need to see it, with steadfastness. He set his face toward. Actually, that's a good translation right from the original. He set his face right towards it and never wavered. And that's what he called last week. We saw a disciple. That's what we're to do. We're to be steadfast and have endurance and not wimp out. And as he does that, he sends, not Greg Bledsoe in the Secret Service, but he sends an advanced team of 72. There's some manuscript discussion. Is it 70, 72? It's pretty equally divided. But 72, let's go with that. Uh, to go ahead. Now, these are not the 12. Uh, as far as we know, these 72 that did the advance work, as he would then come behind their, them, 
uh, into these various cities and towns as he's making his way. Um, we, we, we don't know that they served any other office. They were his followers, and we get an idea of the number of people that were with him in Galilee. It wasn't just the 12, if you're thinking that. There were far more, but uh, he chooses the 72 to go ahead and, uh, and to prepare the way for his coming into their villages. And uh, we're, we're going to see that. So the men are sent on a specific mission. They're the king's men with the king's message to prepare for the king. And I've called it really four words from Jesus concerning this mission of preparation, and that it provides dramatic uh, uh, instruction for us today. Uh, as we are, if you know Christ, you're one of the king's men. We say, Lord Jesus, and that uh, curious Lord is uh, like saying is sovereign, God, king, he's king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, if you know Christ the Lord as your savior, you're a, a king's man or king's woman with a king's message, living in his world, uh, moving towards the kingdom itself. So there's a strong parallel, though the mission is tweaked a little bit. It's a little bit different. We'll notice that from what we're to be about, but there's tremendous instruction for us even here today. Wow. Well, let's, uh, let's read it. It's a longer text. We've been taking our time and working through chapter 9, so we thought, like, we're never going to get through chapter 9, but we did. We did. And chapter 10 is going to really open up. Uh, next week, we're going to look at who's my neighbor and that whole discussion on the parable of the Good Samaritan. But if you'll take it, look at chapter 10, verse 1, and let's read the whole section. You'll discover it's, it's all related to this this advanced team and their work and the Lord's uh, uh, discussion with them following. In verse 1, after this, the Lord Jesus appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray, pray earnestly, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking, what they provide. In other words, be content. For the laborer deserves or is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. And whenever you enter a town, they will receive you uh, and eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Why? Uh, let, me, let me insert. The king is coming. The king is coming. He's near. That's the idea. The king, the Lord Jesus. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its street and say, he's saying publicly, go and do this, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than for that town. Then he goes on to say, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, 
Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And then the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Rather, that the spirit that is, uh, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice, look at this, that your names are written in heaven. And in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, saying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Well, there are four words, and I mean by that symbolically, there are more than four separate words, but there are, if you look on your sheet, there's a word of preparation. The Lord is going, Jesus is going to prepare the 72 for this specific mission. Then there's a word of judgment. You saw that, the, the word woe. We don't use that too much, do we? Woe to you even when our kids, when they're bad, we don't say woe to you. That's an old English expression, but it really does express a lot of passion, doesn't it? Woe, it's a word of judgment. Then there's a word of correction. They were rejoicing, the 72, when they came back. And the wrong thing, you know, they were rejoicing that they had power over Satan and the evil dark domain. And Jesus said, well, that's a good thing, but that's not really what you ought to be. It's misplaced. This is what you ought to really rejoice in. And so it's a word of correction. And finally, it's a word of blessing. As we see the Lord Jesus uh, eulogizing and in prayer, blessing his Father. And then turns and, and he blesses, he gives thanks to his Father, and then he blesses uh, the disciples for their great privilege that is theirs. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful text. Well, the mission was on your sheet was unique to that day, no, no question about it. Um, uh, but there's much here for us as we too proclaim the gospel, are part of the great mission to make disciples and look for the coming of the king. The king is coming. He's coming. Read the Bible, read the newspaper, and uh, get excited because, wow, Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Don't fall asleep in your lethargies. Well, they always said that. Hey, listen, one day closer. Today is one day closer than yesterday, and it may be today. No man knows that day or hour, but you see, uh, like a stage, some of you were in plays in high school and college, maybe, and theatrics, and you see the uh, stage being set uh, for the last days, and uh, boy, we're... Nothing needs to take place before the coming of the Lord, the imminent return of Christ, but it's all set in there. Wow, whether it's the European common market, the nation Israel and the land, you know, Russia, 
or the southern kingdom, the Arab nations, <laughs> and uh, won't be able to buy or sell. We thought, well, how could that be possible? Yeah, right. Most of us don't have money anymore, right? Yeah, where's my card? You know, I'll flash my card, and all you need is someone to say, uh, uh, no, no good. You have no more money in that account digitally. You mean I can't buy my, my uh, quarter pounder? No, you can't. Can you see how easy that's done? And then when the Lord comes, all people will see him. What does that mean? That CNN camera is going to be there around the world? Isn't it crazy how we can see around the world instantly now? It's, I mean, it's changed in our lifetime. How about transportation? People fly here and there and everywhere. Daniel chapter 12. How about the increase of learning? The amount of things that we're learning about uh, uh, the creation in all different disciplines, is exploding exponentially. I mean, Daniel chapter 12 again, the increase of learning. I mean, we are standing, it's like at our tiptoes, looking for the coming of Jesus. And it will happen. It will happen. He came once, he's coming again. And so, let's look at verses 1 to 11. It's a word of preparation. Jesus is going to instruct these men, the men here, for their mission. In verse 1, Jesus appoints the 72 from his followers. They were not part of the 12. They were not. And again, let me say, they were just common, ordinary folks that God had worked in their heart and life. They responded to Jesus as he moved through the areas. They they were saved at this point. But we don't know that they were pastors, teachers, elders, Bible teachers, Christian school teachers, anything special. They were like us. Common, ordinary people. We see that even at the end when the Lord blesses God for them. They weren't of the wise. They weren't of the privileged. Read the, uh, 1 Corinthians 1. You say, well, I'm not, I can't do very much. I can't speak. I can't do this. I'm not very, get ready. That's most of the church, right? 1 Corinthians chapter, not many wise, not many noble, not many wealthy. What? God loves the common people like us. I mean, the little, the weak, the puny, the small, the frail. Why? So when he does the work, he gets all the glory. Otherwise, we might get confused, thinking like, well, Lord, <clears throat> you're really smart picking me because I could really help the work here, you know, in some way. Uh, sit down, the Lord can't use you, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that reminds us, then, number one, that God is sovereign, and he appoints specific men and women, and he does. He does that in his church. Have you, have you come to grips with the sovereignty of God? God's great, and you're not. He's not. He brings about all things according to his will. He is king. We don't vote in heaven. Thank the Lord, no more elections. Don't be sad. No more political parties. No more elections. No more any of that. God is king. And uh, you know what? He reigns even here. And people that are appointed to office, elected office, in civil matters, uh, Romans 13, are his servants. They, they're worthy of our prayer. I hope you pray for them. We need to pray for our country as they're trying to work out and hammer out even this budget and all that. Needs to be said by Tuesday. Hope you're praying about that. We live a, live a quiet, peaceable life with all godliness and service to the Lord. What a, what a great thing in that, right? God is sovereign. He's sovereign. It means he does whatsoever he will. He's almighty. He knows the end from the beginning. He's calling out a people by name chosen in Jesus Christ. You know, most people are Arminian by birth, means uh, they have a big picture of me, myself, and I, and God, where are you? You disappear if you are, you're a little G. 
And uh, even Christians, a lot of them, they come to birth and they think, oh, boy, I did it, aren't I lucky that I heard the gospel and was saved? And the bit by bit, you begin to read your Bible, like, you're slain in your heart. Wow, God did it all. Wow, he did it. And it ought to be, don't ever lose the wow. God's calling out a church. He is. He called the nation of Israel. They were puny. I called you not because you're the greatest, but you're the smallest. God did that. You know, he does that even uh, with gifts and, and distributes a variety of gifts and abilities. He does that with his uh, sovereignty. And all of you, if you know Christ, you have a gift, and God wants you to use that in making disciples. You help, uh, you help in the church. You work with the children, the nursery, and all that. You enter into a part of that. Then as we leave and we say, Lord, in my personal ministry, help me to make disciples, to make reproducers. That's what it's about. That's it. That's the only reason you're left here, not because you're good-looking, not because, uh, you know, you can shoot a basketball and make most of the... No! It's to make disciples. We're to pray about that, be engaged in that. It's not to make money, live indoors, and, and, you know, buy new shoes and all that. We need that kind of stuff, right? I'm glad we don't live outdoors. Make disciples. God choose, chose you to do that. God chooses his leaders for the church. God has done that. He gives in Ephesians 4, uh, godly uh, men. He raises up uh, the, the apostles, the, the prophets, the pastor teachers, and the evangelists. The evangelists are church planners. Uh, at, as they go into the world. Those are God's, uh, the Lord Jesus' gifts to the church. And he get, does that sovereignly, you know? He did it in my life, and I keep doing it until the burden's gone. <laughs> when it's gone, I'm going to sit down and let someone else do that. But the burden is still there. And uh, I give myself 110% to the work so that I can too, as you desire to hear, well done. Well done, that good and faithful assert. God is sovereign. Well, they were to go two by two ahead of him uh, to prepare uh, as an advanced team into the cities for his coming. They, you might call it a short-term missions trip. Some of you have been on that. This is going to be short-term. It's going to be defined and definite. Uh, it was only for a short period of time, and uh, they were to go two by two. And we're not sure why it was two by two. Were they to encourage each other? It's good to, good to do that. We've gone out uh, in, in different evangelistic ministries and, 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 and all that kind of thing with uh, not one but two by two, and that, that really is, is a way to do that. Something it's to bear witness. that In the Old Testament, you need to have two witnesses. So if people rejected the message of the king, there were two witnesses say, yes, they rejected. Uh, uh, the, you could not substantiate something with just one witness. You needed two. We're not, we're not sure why, but it was a very practical Good and, and, and good way to do that. Well, the problem. Here's the problem. We, we discover in verse 2, there are not enough uh, workers, not enough laborers for the harvest field. And oftentimes we hear that and we think of the context, rightfully so, that the harvest is plentiful, Jesus said, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers. Sometimes we think that only means to the foreign mission field. And that's a mark of a great church that sends out folks into the world. The world has changed, so we can do it short-term and long-term and all that kind of thing. But that's, and that's important. We need to do that and want to do that as a church. But you know, the harvest field, our, this is our Jerusalem right here. And we're, 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 as we pray the Lord, we're to say, Lord, what am I doing with that? 
And that was the great need. We need, to, we, we need laborers that will go in the harvest field. What? The harvest field, they're wheat. There are those yet that have not trusted Christ that need to hear the gospel and be saved. Well, at one place, the Lord encouraged Paul, said, stay there. I have many in this place yet uh, that had not uh, come to faith in Christ. How about that? God has his people. He's calling out. They're in Ephesus. I think it was Ephesus. It was a Corinth. Corinth. Thank you, Raj. Yeah, in Corinth. Mm-hmm. Well, you have some here, too, in our area. There are many, many people. You see the lonely faces, the sad faces, people that you know, are afraid and frightened and people that don't know Christ. And I go like, that's the work of our church, our families, we scatter. We are workers for this, and most of us work here. And we need to be engaged in that. See, well, you make me feel good. Well, get right, get, get, get engaged with it. If not, when? If not now, then when? You know, get engaged so God can count on you. If not, God will raise up someone else to do his work. And you lose the blessing and the joy and will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, if God would grant them success on this mission, the mission of the 72, more workers could be recruited to labor for Jesus. That's really what it's about, right? The, 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 the harvest is plentiful. Labors are few. Now I'm going to send you out to prepare. And, and the, a result of that, Dr. Bach is right, well, most people miss that. That was the result of this, was that uh, as people responded to the message of the king and were wonderfully saved and waiting for him to visit, they in turn would be enlisted into, if you will, the Lord's army. And they too would be looking for the Lord and be busy serving God in those villages and towns and places and maybe even after Pentecost, a great many of them were saved, that they were the result of uh, that pre-evangelism work of those that were won to Christ through this specific mission. Wow. Well, the answer, the answer to, the, to uh, this lack of workers for the, for the fields that were white under the harvest uh, was uh, not only in the going... You know, we think of that with the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But the sense of it is, is the command is make disciples uh, as you go. It assumes that we're going to be going. Go down to the store, go down to work, go down to the neighborhood, go down to the gym, go go to school. We're going to be going, and as you go, bear witness for Jesus. That's what he's saying. It assumes that, but uh, that's not where the answer lies. It's, It's, yes, it's there, but... Primarily, it's in the praying. Verse 2, prayer has a priority here in meeting the urgent need. Earnest praying. Earnest. Pray earnestly. Earnestly. What's that mean? Pray earnestly. Well, you know, sometimes uh, we, we, we have all kinds of praying, but we, our, our short prayers uh, owe their strength to the longer ones. We get our need and spend time. We're not rushed. It's not like 20 seconds, get it out fast, Lord, here it comes. You know, but we spend time, we think about the Lord's work, think about it in people's lives, we think about our family, our church. I need your prayers. We pray, Lord, advance the work of the Lord. God promises that it's advanced, it's the oil that makes it go, is our prayer. And he qualifies it. It's just not the quick, not like laying me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake the Lord, no. It's with earnestness. Oh, God. Oh, God. Please. It's with the heartfelt intensity. The earnestness means fervency. It means with heat. Apply some heat there. Get the Bunsen burner going there. 
And it's not just uh, formalized. Oh, God, you know, without any heart. With all your heart, your soul, and you're saying, Lord, raise up workers. Raise us up. Raise us up as a church family. All of us have a part in this. That we can pray, and all of us going somewhere, we can bear witness for Christ and be a part of disciple-making. That's what he's talking about. And that's the grease that makes it go. It's not a casual prayer at all. It's earnest praying. It means that we've got to make time in our schedules for it. It's got to be a priority uh, that we do that. It involves intensity and involves heat. Pray that the Lord of the harvest and I want to be that part of the church like that, that we pray that way. And while we're praying that way, that God would use us as a church family to send uh, some of our own number to near and far places that the rest of us say, this is our place, and we claim this place for Jesus. Oh, God, help us. There are so many people. I mean, there, there are a number of churches in the area, in the greater Harrisburg area, and there are a number of evangelical churches, I know that, but there are so many people that we circulate among that do not know Christ, never heard his gospel. Or maybe they're entangled in some sort of liberal church or whatever, that the gospel's all clouded and confused and people can't find their way to heaven there. What a sad state that is. You know, ask, uh, how do I get to heaven from here? Don't know. Or be good or some kind of craziness like that. Well, that's uh, earnest praying. Well, Jesus tells that the, that the mission is going to be dangerous. I'm going to send you out, he says, verse like lambs in the midst of wolves. It's a dangerous world out there. Dangerous, why? There's a God of this world. His name is Satan. He's defeated. And the intensity of his uh, attack is going to be greater and greater and greater as he knows his time is short. And he likes to ruin churches and ruin lives. Ruin your kids' lives and grandkids. He'll do it if he can. He will. He likes to destroy nations. Uh, he, in his, uh, dangerous. I look under the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He promises to protect and defend and, and to care for us. Uh, wolves. You know, wolves eat lions. You know, the lions, not the Detroit lions. They don't win too many, do they? <laughs> But in the, in the spiritual realm, it's lions, one, lambs, nothing, a lot of times, for God's glory. Wow. Uh, some of you are familiar with uh, Fox's book of Martyrs. How many of you are familiar with that book? Uh, yeah, not a bad book. Uh, not, not so sure that it's all historical. There's a better one that you may want to write down and, and, and get a hold of. It's uh, Martyr's Mirror. Uh, it's really uh, more historical, uh, but it tells of... Uh, of the lambs that were persecuted and hunted down and whom this world was not worthy, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. Martyr's Mirror is, a, is an excellent, more excellent, even than Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, as good and motivational as that can be. Well, uh, D, they were to good, go forth with urgency and total dependency upon God to care for their every need. That's what he's talking about in verse 4, is he prepares these 72 to go out. Carry no money bag, you know, no knapsack, no sandals. I mean, it was proper in those days. They wore sandals. Take an extra pair with you. You know, you never know. That leather strap could break. You're in trouble. You're walking in the dirt. Don't take even an extra pair. Don't greet anyone on the road. That's an oriental uh, 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 lack of uh, hospitality. Uh, very different from the West. We, uh, you know, we, 
We like to greet people, get the business done, and move on. In the, in, in the Middle East and in the ancient world, you sat and you talked for a long time. So how's your Aunt Tilly? You know, you're trying to do a contract. Well, you'll spend hours just talking to them about life and family and this and that. And then maybe, maybe you get to the contract of the business you want to sign. And so when he's saying, uh, don't greet anyone on the road, he's saying, look, this is urgent business. Uh, and you, you've got to dispel with the cultural n normal practices why? You've got to get to the cities, because I'm coming. Time is short. There's urgency here. Don't take any money. Trust me. You know, I'll, I'll supply your every need. Uh, I'll take care of that. Now, this isn't for time and eternity. You say, how come some of our missionaries raise support and go to language school and, and get prepared? Well, it, it changed. This is for a, this specific mission because his time is short. He's going to Jerusalem. He's a very aware of the divine chronology of what's going to take place here. And so time is of the essence. Time is still of the essence for us. It's going, going, and almost gone, isn't it? I got just amazed. We flipped the calendar today. Now we're in August. Wow, the year is buzzing by. Feels like it just started. I'm trying to catch up. Oh, you know, still urgent. But the urgency was different here. And the Lord at the upper room is going to change the message. He's going to call them to, to be prepared, take a sword, and, and, and because that's more general and that speaks more to our day. But here, this meant go, don't delay. Get out there now. Uh, and... Uh, and God will take care of you. Well, the 72 were certainly messengers of peace, weren't they? Verses 5 through 9. Messengers of peace. And people that they need, uh, met in these various villages and cities needed to make a decision. Messengers of peace. You know, our God is a great God of peace. And one thing that the world clamors for is peace. It's crazier now than ever. It's like a woman in childbirth. Like my daughter will be here soon. They, the pangs get closer and closer and closer, and you go like, this is, wow. You know, and that, you just feel that in the world. And there's anything but peace. I mean, there's, uh, the Middle East is more unstable than I ever saw it in my life. I mean, Israel, Egypt, Egypt, 80 million people, right? And uh, who knows what's going to happen there. Is that going to become, you know, a, a radical Muslim country and... What will happen to the state of Israel, and what about Iraq, and what about Iran, and what about Russia? You know, Russia's no friend. And what about Saudi Arabia? What? It's like this whole thing is quaking. Uh, there's anything but peace. We're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Peace. You know, God is the only author of peace. It's one of the great things of being saved. Peace, that we have peace with God. You know, until you're saved, you're an enemy of God. I don't know how that makes you feel, but you know when you size up my who's my enemy and how strong are they? God's my enemy. I'm in trouble. If uh, if you're not saved, God is your enemy. There's hostility. That enmity that uh, the text talks about, and God is the great peacemaker. There's to be peace. He makes it. Richards wrote that great book years ago, The Missionary, on trying to win people to Christ and how to communicate the gospel to people that when they heard the gospel story, because their, their culture is so corrupt, they thought Judas was the hero, the tricker, the deceiver. And he finally came across in their culture the form of the peace child and thought, ha-ha, that's how I can speak to them, the gospel, into their culture. 
That's what Jesus is. God's peace child. God is the author of peace. He initiates peace. He brings peace to us. Peace with God. Oh, I love it so much. That's how we know, as Jerry said, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Peace. That's shalom. That ancient greeting, peace. And then it trickles into our own life, doesn't it? That the the, the peace uh, with God provides peace of God. And so it matters not what befalls you. Some of us have been called to go in the military. Bullets flying and bomb blowing up. But the peace uh, of God that reigns in our heart, like a great... Only God does that. Yeah, only God does that. Pop would talk about that in World War II. He was part of Patton's Third Army, drove a half-track around, uh, around Europe. And uh, the five guys all prayed and trusted God while the bolts were flying. God brought them all. Didn't have to. You know, some could have went the, the chutes and ladder, the quick ladder to heaven, you know. <laughs> but God brought them home. And in the midst of that, the peace of God. That no matter what God does, it is well. Whether it's bad reports from that, Lord, you're in charge. We know that whatsoever you do, you do well. And uh, God works together all things according to the good, to them that love God, to, to them that are called according to the purpose. And so I rest in that. Lord, my days are marked out. Peace. You know, your neighbors and friends that do not know Christ do not know that peace. You know, there's trouble everywhere. The peace of God. And here these, these king's men go forth, and their message, and he writes a message of peace. And if uh, those in the homes would receive it, they, they're called sons of peace. They evidently were called out, and they received it, and the, that home had peace. There's peace in marriages, too, you know. Yeah, you say irreconcilable differences, just talk on that a second. Listen, we all have irreconcilable differences. The fact that two sinful lost people and then saved people that are still have a sin can live together for years and years, that's the grace of God. It is. It's only the God of peace that can do that. As we pray, oh Lord, help her to live with a wretch like me. <laughs> then faith says, Amen. <laughs> I laugh, but, you know, we can be utterly selfish, every one of us. Every one of us. There's no hope apart from the God of peace who brings peace and blessing and fruitfulness, even in the closest relationships in life. Well, people may need to make a decision, right? They do. Everywhere. They're going to come. They're going to bring the king's message. It's a message. Of, but people have to decide, don't they? They do. If the message was received, they would have a blessing in their home. They'd be welcomed. And their acceptance of, of the message was evidenced by their caring of the physical needs. Those that heard the message and were wonderfully saved and said, we're, wow, we're waiting for the king. They received him in. Come on, stay with us. And then now what do you need? Here's some, here's some, here's some steak or here's some you know, enchiladas or whatever you like, hot dogs. We had hot dogs. We had the band uh, pool party and family yesterday. Those hot dogs were so good. I was thinking about that late last night, Hans, uh, with the onion on it, you know, the mustard, slathered with mustard. And man, that was, what was the name of that hot dog? I gotta buy some of those. Anyway, they would take care of the certain. Stay here. You, you know, you've got your. They would show their acceptance of the message by welcoming God's servants. It's always been that way. Whether it's a church, a church that doesn't care for God's men and women, that 
they show that they're, they're, they're slow in not receiving God's message in God's word. And uh, when you find God's men, whether in missions or women in mission or Bible teachers or whatever, or pastor teacher, and you take care of him, it's a way of saying he's God's man and we're taking care of him. I, and I bless the wonderful way that uh, you, you guys take care of faith and have even in a church plant these years. And we're just so content and we're so thankful and praise God for that. And the same thing was here. You know, how do you know they accept? They welcome them in. We're going to take care of you. And you're God, you represent the king, so you're like the king, and we're so privileged to have you here. That's what's going on as the Lord tells the story here, as they would meet their physical needs. And they were given the authority of Jesus to heal the sick. And this revealed the collapsing of Satan's domain. I saw Satan falling. Jesus saying, here's the beginning of the end for this guy. And these works... Uh, that they were doing uh, in, uh, in entering in the realm of darkness and healing and, and releasing those that were de- demonized confirmed the truth of the message that they were proclaiming. Wow, what a, what a mission. What a great mission. Wow. And finally, if, uh, if, uh, if the people rejected, and some of the cities did, you know, when a city rejects, let me say this, when a city rejects, that means the preponderance of the people reject it. Uh, the city is just uh, a way of, of, of calling it uh, that, uh, that collection of people that live in that. It was the people that rejected uh, the message of the king. They were to be publicly denounced as pagans. We said that before. This, what's the shaking of the dust off and all that? We said that <clears throat> it was a tradition in that day when uh, uh, Jews that uh, were Orthodox would visit Gentile lands <clears throat> that when they return back to the Holy Land, they take off their sandals and shake the sand out like you would do at, uh, at Ocean City. If you went down there and you walked through the sand, that hot sand, blazing hot sand, you had to wear something on your feet to get to the, off the waterfront, right? And you'd shake the sand out and all that kind of thing. They would do that, but they would do it as a symbol that they didn't want any of that pagan, unbelief, atheistic, godless soil brought into God's, uh, God's country, the nation of Israel at that point. So they would take it off symbolically and shake the dust out and then proceed into the land of Palestine. It was a way of denouncing uh, their unbelief in verses 10 and 11. And that's, uh, that's what is, and go into the public square. It was to be a public denouncement. Yeah, you've rejected the king. You've rejected us. You've rejected the message and therefore you are rejected. That's, what, that's, what, that's what's happening. And yet, he says, the kingdom is coming. You know, it's not democracy. We're not asking you to vote. It's coming. Ready or not, here it comes. Did you ever do that with hounds and dogs, hounds and deer, or hide and seek? Ready or not. We used to play that with our kids. I miss that so much. But now I play it with my granddaughters, right? You hide in the closet and all that. Ready or not, Papa's coming. Ready or not, it's coming. It doesn't matter if you reject it. You're going to be in deep trouble if you don't accept it, is what he's saying. Well, for rejecting the king's advance team, Jesus says in verse 11, what's the same as rejecting uh, the king, rejecting God himself. You know, I'm reminded of that as you and I share the gospel. Don't take it personally. You know, let's just jump into our day. When people, people think you've lost your noodle, and maybe you have, and maybe I have, but it doesn't mean that the message is null and void. And if they reject it, 
uh, don't care to hear about it, run from you the other way like you got bad breath or something, uh, that don't take that personally. Uh, you and I are to bear the message of Jesus, and we are to simply express that. Uh, what a privilege to do that. And as we do that, uh, God promises to use his word, never returns void. Don't take it personally. It's the king of kings that they're rejecting. And, and just keep on, keep on. Uh, you know, much of it's the work of the farmer. It is. I drove by the, uh, the new property and, and saw again the corn. I couldn't believe how tall, the, have you seen it, how tall the corn is? Oh, man, that thing grew up this, this, uh, that high now. Beautiful. Uh, it reminds me, that's what we're doing. We're, we're to do the work of the farmer. Just be faithful, keep working, keep working. God will give the increase and call out a people. He will. He will. And if they reject you, and sometimes it's hard, I know that. I've had family members misunderstand me. My aunt thought I was nuts, you know, and others, I'm sure, that uh, you give up all this, oh, you know. And she'd never darkened the door of church. I, I, I don't know if God saved her at the last, let her live a long time, my dad's sister, but uh, uh, it's the king they reject. They're not rejecting you. They weren't rejecting the 72. I don't like how you, they rejected Jesus. That's what was going on there. And it's still true today. Well, the Lord instructs. I mean, school is not out for summer, is it? He's going to instruct them. Specific mission. And that's a major part of our text today. Let's quickly look at a second word. That's a word of preparation. Jesus instructs and provides instruction, and we need that. And, uh, but second, there's a word of judgment. Uh, and, and there's a principle here. The more light that is given, that is the light of God's word, the light of understanding, the greater the accountability. Don't miss this in verses 12 and following. Uh, I tell you, Jesus said, it will be more bearable in, the, in that day. That's the judgment day. You can circle that, put judgment day. For Sodom, he thinks of the very worst possible city of ancient history, city that that was so wicked and so vile in Genesis 19 that God destroyed one of the five cities of the plain there. Uh, there uh, in the Dead Sea region, it was a fruited plain. It was so beautiful. Lot said, I'll, I'll take that to Abraham. I'll take the, yeah, that looks like Iowa. Have you ever, ever seen Iowa with their deep black soil? It's uh, maybe even better than Lancaster County, they tell me. You know, it's so fruited and beautiful. And that's what the, the valley was there with the five cities. Sodom, Gomorrah was another one. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this, in, in all their wicked vileness, it's going to be more tolerable for them in the final judgment than for these that reject the message of the king and reject me. Wow, that's quite a thing. It's a word of judgment. And, you know, this is, a, this is a consistent theme throughout the Bible, this idea wherever those have received more light of the revelation of God's word, more privileged, and when there, if there is rejection and disobedience, there's greater judgment. Uh, we could go through the whole Bible and show that. You could write it over the whole book of Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk, I like to say it in Hebrew, Habakkuk. Uh, that's it. God's going to judge uh, Israel. And he tells the prophet how, I'm going to send in the pagans. And he's got a big problem with that. They're more vile than your people. That's the point. Your people got a whole lot more light. 
I'm going to use the pagans as a spanking uh, stick. And they're going to deal with my people that should have known better, should have responded better. You see that principle throughout the Word. The whole Word of God. Wherever more light is given, more accountability. That's, I sometimes, let me jump ahead, I, I worry about our country. We have received so much light of the gospel for hundreds of years. Never been a majority, never, that idea of moral majority never happened. But there was more salt and light and influence in the ongoings and in the government and in the people and in the schools. But then there's been a wholesale turning back. Uh, and ignoring God and his work. God's been expelled out of school, has been expelled out of our homes, been expelled out of a lot of churches. And wonder why, why are these churches empty? People figure it out. There's no message there. I'll just stay in bed Sunday morning. Nothing there for me. I go like, whoa. And, and uh, don't you think, providentially, we're being paddled as a nation? We are. Just read church history. Read history itself. The nations that forget God will be cast into the sea. Well, that's a consistent theme. And A, Jesus tells of the horrible judgment that will fall upon those that reject this news. Uh, horrible judgment. Uh, woe to them. Sodom, I said that, so evil, God destroyed it. Yet the people of Sodom will be better off at the judgment than those who rejected the 72. I just remind you another thing because Peter tells us, don't forget, he says, don't forget. Some of you will say, well, where's the coming of the Lord? Don't forget the flood. God's judgment finally came after 120 years of building the ark. And the preacher, righteous preacher Noah, preached. And only eight people were saved. And God began the whole human race again over uh, with eight people. Noah and his wife, three sons and their wives, and he started again. It's amazing to me, you know, the whole cataclysmic change of the universal flood. It wasn't some little Johnstown flood, as bad as that was. It was universal in scope. It covered even the highest mountains. Now after, uh, when, when the earth was being reformed, reshaped, when the, when the flood waters were receding in about that year, the, mount, the, the titanic movement of the, of the plates... The text tells that the oceans got deeper, the mountains went higher, Mount Everest and all that, and the water ran off the continent. How many of you have seen the, uh, the Grand Canyon? Anyway, you know what? That was formed by the rapid runoff of water off the, off the, uh, the continent in North America, cutting into that, the layer upon layer, sedimentary rock. And it amazes me here in Pennsylvania with all the carbon fuel of hard anthracite coal, and then now all the, cra uh, the fracking process of natural gas and that, that is all carbon fuel. And you ought to, you ought to use that as a point of uh, contact with your friends and associates. Where do you think carbon fuel came from? Carbon, anything that, that was ever living has carbon in it. Those, that is stuff that once lived that was buried. How was that buried? It was, read your Bible, chapter 6 through 9 of, chap of Genesis. It was buried in the universal deluge when God judged the whole world and saved eight. Wow. And that natural gas and that oil that you're going to drive your car out of here, it came from stuff that once lived. Animal life that was buried. Marine life that was buried. Uh, plants and vegetation in the world that once was. Uh, it all came from there. Understand the biblical flow of history and and the pieces come together 
We live in a world that there is no God, and we just could pump the oil out. Where did that come from? We don't even think about it. Man suppresses, women suppress the knowledge of God. God says, look, my voice is all over the place. Listen, look. Look at the stars. Look at the ocean. Look at the mountain. Look at life. Look at the two sexes, the beauty. Look at the symmetry of the body and the organization. Whatever I do is incredible. And it shouts glory to God. See it. He was on eye to see, sees it. God's judgment once fell when wicked men and women refused to bow the knee and and to worship him and to serve him. Wow. Wow. Well, the shame should be their emphasis. That's what it is. Woe or shame. Jesus pronounces the woe on the cities that were favored to have his extensive ministry within their midst. They saw him, they heard him, they knew the ones that were healed, and yet they wanted what? A free lunch. You mean we don't get free lunch today? You know, they thought it was a God's great welfare system or a political system. You mean you're not the conquering Messiah that's going to boot the Romans out? That's what we really thought. I'm sorry, we don't want you. Unbelievable. You ever have a front row seat at a concert? You know, like I'll sit in the front row seat. I guess with some kind, it's probably not a good idea because a lot of people stand up in front, down in the pit or whatever they call that. You can't see anyway. But a front row. These folks had a front row seat to the gospel of Jesus. I mean, Jesus visited their town. He lived there. He moved there. Oh, yeah, we know him. Yeah. They knew him in Nazareth, and they rejected him. They knew him at Capernaum. That was his, uh, his makeshift base of operation. They knew him in Galilee. They knew him in, in Jerusalem. Some were saved, but not all. Not all. And the preponderance, uh, especially in these cities that are mentioned, uh, uh, rejected him. They had a front row. So here's the principle. God, when God's men speak his word, like the 72, it is God who is speaking. Receive it as the word of Christ. You know, it's, that's my prayer, you know, even today. When the word of God is spoken and taught, that I would get out of the way, you'd not see me, but the Spirit of God take the Word of God, open your hearts, and drill it deeply into your heart and change you. Change me. Uh, I, I pray for that. It's not my Word. Again, I'm the delivery guy. I'm just delivering. I have to give an account for how I delivery, deliver it. I don't want to cut it short. I go, like, oh, this is going to be tough. i got to soften it. I don't want to do that. Uh, I, want it. I want to preach the Word in season and out. I want to declare the whole counsel of God so that you know it. And uh, I want to be faithful to discharge all the duties of, of the ministry God has given to me. It's God's holy word. It's his word that abides forever. His men and women come and go. Have you noticed that? Every day in the obits, there goes some more. John Stott went this week. This others went. They come and go. It's the word of God that abides forever. And uh, they rejected the king's word. And so woe was pronounced. It was a word of judgment. It was a word of judgment. Wow. The more light given, the greater the judgment. You know, if I, you could warn people that after they hear the gospel and they reject it, you'd say, you know, you've been better off if I didn't tell you. Been better off. You know, you should have stopped me. You know? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, you're in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. What do you mean? Well, you're going to be dead soon. I am, yeah, yeah. Or the Lord's coming, and he's going to remind you of this conversation, and you scoffed and made fun and laughed at and rejected. I'm not telling you to turn or burn, but you're in trouble. You've been better off to leave here or whatever. 
warn people that way. And in that, you'll be like Jesus. You know? Oh, I pray that before you close your eyes and breathe your last, you say, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord, my Savior. Oh, thank you for dying for me. You, you better mean that. You better pray that with all your heart. Who do you think you are? And we ought, we ought to develop some boldness and some compassion. Warn people. You know, you would do that, wouldn't you, if you went down a street near your house and the house next door was on fire and you knew the folks there, whether you did or not, you'd run in, wouldn't you? I would. I'd run in. Warn the place is burning down. Get out. Get out. You can give any thought to yourself. We need to warn folks that way. Well, it's a word of judgment. Third word is a word of correction, and, and these go quickly here, but in verse 17 through 20, we find that the men return. I love this. They returned with joy. It was a successful mission, and yet they're rejoicing over the wrong thing. They're rejoicing at, man, look at what God did through us. Wow. You may think that when the, God does some wonderful things through you and your life and raising your children for, for Christ or teaching a Sunday school class or being part of discipleship, sharing the gospel. Saying, wow, look what God did through us. And, and it, it is a wonderful thing. It's a humbling thing that God would use the likes of us. But Jesus is saying, that's not the most important thing. You know, I could have, could have used the mule to speak. I did that once before. You know, like, <laughs> uh, that's not any harder for me to do. Be, be glad in that, but uh, look, let me correct you. That's not the focus you need to have. You need to uh, focus on something else. Let's look at that. They were rejoicing over their power, over the realms of evil. And there is such a thing as evil. We live in a world that's a postmodern world. They're not so sure of it. They're not so sure there's a good. That's terrible. It's called the dementing of the mind, the corrupting of, uh, of, of clear thinking, analytical clear thinking. There is the good, and the opposite is evil. There is evil. I remember when Reagan called uh, the Soviet Empire the evil empire. Oh, 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 didn't the educated uh, elitists go, oh, 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 that's so funny. And President Reagan to use such an archaic word like evil. Educated people don't speak that way anymore. Well, that's probably a big part of the problem right there. There is evil. And the opposite, and we know it intuitively, don't we? We're made in God's image. And we know, sometimes it's, it gets close. What was that? We're not sure. But most of the time, oh yeah, that was good, and that was not good. And part of the big process of raising our kids is to reinforce the good. Because they're little rebels. They're just like you. And uh, they're going to grow up and be big rebels. And you better beat the tar out of that in a spiritual sense, and you figure out otherwise. Okay, so my pastor said I'm supposed to beat my... I didn't say that. And you better be very careful about that. I, the one who received the painful end of many uh, bru uh, bruisings, and probably only got half of what I deserve, confession's good. But uh, you better figure out how to do that real quick, because uh, you're God's servants, raising a godly seed. If God should give you grace and favor and blessing, there is such a thing as evil. There is. In a world that's lost its way, uh, it's, it's a terrible thing. And they're rejoicing. Man, we've got power over evil. They were, their effectiveness uh, signaled uh, Satan's the beginning of the end there. I saw Satan falling. He's referring to this is the beginning of the end and the fact that they could move in 
and heal people, care for people, the demonized. They were moving in the realms of darkness, places of satanic strongholds, and it was just about over for him. That's right. Well, Jesus is going to correct their focus, so. And I love these verses. The people know, know of these verses. Verse 20, nevertheless, nevertheless, there's the, there's the pivot. Don't rejoice in this, that God used you. God used you to advance in the realms of darkness with my authority. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Isn't that great? Your names are written in heaven. We used to sing that. There's a new name written down in glory. You know, that's theologically wrong. It is. But we, we, I, I hope we understand. The, the idea was there's someone in heaven and a Billy got saved, so there's Billy. We're going to write his name down. Like Brand, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. There's Billy. You're, no, you're, if, you, if you know Christ, your name's been written down there before the foundation of the world and God's sovereignty. But your name is written in heaven. Isn't that great? What's that mean? It means that God knows you. It's, a, it's an idiom. You know, it's God knows you. He knows all about you. You're his servant. You know, we in him we live, move, and have our being. Don't rejoice that you're able to crush the realm of, of darkness. You know, there's a relative value to that, Lord. That's amazing you use it. Rejoice that God knows you. Your name is written in heaven. Now, when I was in elementary school, since we talked about confession being such a good thing, I used to, I used to hear my Mr. Eisenhower, my sixth grade math teacher, say, if I write your name on the board during my talk here, that you're in trouble. And uh, I'm here to say that uh, he'd be up there, T-E-R-R-Y. <laughs> I was just looking over trying to figure out the math problem for my neighbor, you know, but he thought I was talking about the uh, track meet coming up or something. And your name is written in heaven, not on the blackboard up front. Isn't that great? Isn't that great that God knows us? We crave to know somebody that knows all about us, everything. I love that so much, to be known by someone else. I have a very good marriage. I love my wife dearly. And uh, uh, 35 years, I think I'm starting to figure it out. And, uh, <laughs> and I think she knew it the first year, but it's a uh, slow class for me a little bit. But, um, you know, the best of that marriage, and it is, it's a sweet, blessed thing. Um, you go like, is this all there is? There's a craving for more. And you know what that more is satisfied? In God himself. It is that he knows me and that he accepts me. And the Lord means that. And this is Jesus saying, your name is written in heaven. Well, you close your eyes in death and the angel takes your soul instantly to glory. They, uh, who's there? Zabolsky's there. Yeah, his name's written here through the blood of Christ. Welcome. I got a condo up there with my name on it. It is. It's a city, right? It began in the garden, ends in the city. It's got to be uh, quite a spread. Wow. Wow. And there'll be room there because he knows all about it. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, I love that so much. I could muse on that forever. It's a word of correction. And finally, it's a word of blessing. And Jesus turns and he blesses, he gives thanks to his Father. It's a word of prayer. And as we see this section closing out in verse 21 to the end, that same hour, see, it's the same event. 
He rejoices in the Holy Spirit. He, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you, uh, you hid these things from, con- from the, from the uh, intelligentsia, the wealthy, the powerful, uh, and you revealed it unto babes, common, ordinary men and women like us to do your bidding, to expand the work, to see more workers for the harvest field. Wow. The Lord blesses, eulogizes, gives thanks. And then B, Jesus tells the men how blessed they were. How about that? You know, we think we're blessed to live today, live indoors, air conditioning, right? Central heat, warm water for showers. Used to have to go down to the creek, you know, once a month, whether you need it or not, right? To shower (laughs) or bathe, right? In our home, not too many years ago, there's seven kids, not at those days, but you know, it was like uh, the hot water, and I, talk, I have to talk to Ron about that, but we didn't have a hot water tank. It ran right through the burner thing and the pipes, you know, and it was like we filled the tub once, and then the, it went in descending order, okay? Sometimes the girls went first, but uh, all right, Dale, you're in and out. My mother scrubbed your hair till it came out. Okay, it's not too dirty. Next, Terry, you're in. You know, like stuff floating around in there. Don't worry about it. That wasn't too many years ago. Now we would never live that way, right? We say, like, well, we're we're really blessed. We can travel. We can fly. Face going to Jacksonville. If she's out of bed when I get home and get her down to Baltimore today, we go, look at the ease of that. And the cell phones, aren't they great? What a great... I'm telling you, Jesus saying, you want to know who's really blessed? Those that saw the Son of God and were actually there when he came to minister. I mean, you talk about privilege of privilege. Blessed are you for what you have seen. I mean, there are many prophets and kings and all sorts of folks that look for this day, the generations as they unfolded. I mean, from Adam, the seed of the woman. Here here he is standing, the creator God in the flesh. What a privilege. Wow. Blessed are you. And someday we too shall behold the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Wow. What a blessed thing that is. A word of blessing as Jesus closes this section. Well, what can we say by way of lessons for our life quickly and we're done? Number one, we too are to move out into a dangerous world. It is dangerous. There's danger in Dunbar Hills. Move out into a dangerous world, trusting the Lord to use us to win lost men and women, boys and girls, for the gospel. Are you fishing? You know, we trust the Lord. Lord, don't let the gospel link end with you. It's like a chain. But all these generations, don't let that link end with you. And keep fishing. Say, well, yeah, God's let, let me plant the seed and Pray and water and work towards winning others and discipling. Keep doing it as long as you have breath. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up in the total dependency of the Lord. Well, let's do that. Let's recommit to that. Uh, these were given a specific mission. We're given the Great Commission to go as we go to make disciples, to win the lost. People are really lost and without hope, without Christ. Hmm. We need to go forth depending on the Lord. Say, I'm afraid. Well, so what? Most of us are. Right? So, so let's get that behind us real quick. <laughs> I get tongue-tied. Most of us do that. Do something. Give them a track. Talk to them. Have a Bible study. Have a tea time. 
Ladies, maybe someone over your coffee table. The, the neighbor lady. Anyone ever open the Bible study? Oh, let's do that for a couple times. I'll make the, bring the cookies and the coffee, and, and you'd be surprised. You pray what God will do. Number two, we alone have God's message. We, it is the only message of peace. That's it. It's not, the, it's not found anywhere else. not found in any of the universities and what they commonly teach. Not found in uh, Islam. It's not found in Zen Buddhism. Not Confucius. He was confused. None of those. It's the message. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way. Only one way. And we have it. We have the treasure. Paul says, the treasure. The treasure. People are looking for all kinds of gold today, right? If I see another gold advertisement, I'm going to croak. Gold, gold, gold. You know, here's a little tidbit on that, not related. They some, I read somewhere that all the gold in the whole world could be put filled up two Olympic swimming pools. That's it. Now, that's a stretch to think about that. Yeah. Something more important, more valuable than that gold is the treasure of the gospel. And we carry that. We walk around. May not have much in our wallet. May not have much gold, right? My fingers swelled up, and I couldn't even wear my wedding man for a while. That's gold, right? Something more valuable than that. And that's uh, the treasure of the gospel. And we alone have it. We are God's messengers. It's a message of peace. Oh, my. Number three, prayer is essential. We need to be a praying church. It's essential that we pray, that you take that with you and pray that God would raise up workers. And while you're praying that way, say, Lord, I'm a worker. What can I be involved with? I can be a part of it. As we as a church look to disciple the children and others that come in, in small ways and large ways, pitch that in. And how do I do it personally as I leave and spend most of my time in other places? To be a part of this great work. As Lord, use me in this. We must ask God to provide more workers, and in that, use us. Number four, number four. Today, the message of the gospel is confirmed, I don't miss this now, by the loving care of those of us who tell the story. And that day, these messengers of the kings went into the villages, and they would heal people, and they would cast out demons in the authority of Jesus, with this apostolic authority of Jesus, and then they would preach. It would validate it would, uh, the key word, confirm the message that they were proclaiming that the king was soon coming because of what they did in a mercy ministry. Well, today, you and I do that by lovingly caring for people and their needs, people around us. You know, we're going to see that next week as we look at the Good Samaritan, who's my neighbor. You know, as we care for them, it's so uncharacteristic of our utterly selfish day that people end up saying, well, what makes you tick that you would do that? Give the time and help me with uh, physical things and, and needs and treasury and, and all that kind of good stuff. It becomes the merciful context for the message that we preach, and it confirms the veracity of it. That's true. And that's what you and I are a part of today, and that's how we confirm it. Number five and last, then. Is your name written down in heaven? I need to ask you that. It's not if you've not come to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Young or old, doesn't matter. And, uh, and you need to call on the name of Jesus. Whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. Have you done that? Don't let the day pass. In the quietness of your heart, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And God will save you. He hears that prayer. Come to salvation today and discover 
and discover uh, that your name was written down before the foundation of the world, and you've just been slow class to finally get here to today. I'll do that. Well, in advance, team, I can't wait to have Gregory tell us more of, of, the, of the ongoing details. Someday we'll have maybe a social tell us more of that as a church. He'll have you in stitches. He tells one story after another, after another, after another. Oh, my, oh, my. Something more important, the advance team. Go and prepare. The king's coming. But then for us, that's what we really are, if you've thought about it. You say, well, how's that applied? We are the advance team. And our message is, the king is coming. He's coming, coming soon. We're not sure if it's today or tomorrow or next week. He's coming. Get ready. Get ready. It's a message of peace. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, thank you.